If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast with me, Hort Week editor Matthew Appleby. I'm here today with HDA President Boyd Douglas Davis and Chairman James Barnes. And we're talking about the HDA conference, which returns on the 14th of September at the International Conference Centre in Birmingham. And the conference promises to tell us what horticulture will look like in 2030. And speakers include Simon Reeve, Mark Gregory, Tayshan Hayden-Smith and Arit Anderson. And they're amongst the stars who are going to be um, on stage on that day. The big issues the industry are facing um, include inflation and the Centre for Economics and Business Research's Vicky Price will present forecasts for the economy for 2030 and the potential impact on businesses. So welcome Boyd. Hi Matt, thank you for inviting me on. And welcome to James. Matt, hi, good morning, great to be here. Excellent. Now Vicky Price is going to be talking about forecasts for the economy and potential impact on businesses. And, you know, inflation, as we just said, is a massive issue at the moment. So what is this potential impact on businesses going to be? What do you think Vicky Price is going to say? Um, well, I, I'm not an economist. Um, and so I, I, I would hate to um, try and predict something in that arena. But clearly, uh, the cost of doing business crisis uh it is very much there, and, and I, it would be a statement of the obvious to say that uh, energy is the single biggest driver there. Um, so that that is a huge feature, and I, I think in terms of uh, where we sit as an institution, it will be again perhaps obviously pointing this out to government that it's not just the consumer that's being impacted here; it is all small businesses, all businesses. Um, and those impacts are quite substantial and quite significant. So in terms of where our policy piece would sit, it would be about trying to make government aware that they need to do something bigger than what is currently being suggested in terms of just helping individual households. 
Oh, excellent. Now, and, and Boyd, you, you're, you know, working at a garden centre. So what's the impact on you and what help could the government give you? It, it's, it's wide, far reaching, isn't it? The impact at the moment is huge. I think in answer to your first question, what's Vicky going to say? Well, if I told you that, you wouldn't need to come to the conference. So we can't answer that. We need to let her be the expert. Uh, but we've, we've all just got to be super conscious, haven't we, that the next few years are going to be very challenging for all sectors of the industry. So the conference on the 14th is really setting out how we get uh, to 2030 and what it will look like uh, as a, an industry and as a nation, how we'll all be reacting and working together. And I think that's that's the important part, isn't it? That we're jumping past the recent problems we've had, which we have gone from problem to problem to problem, haven't we? But now these ones we have with us are, I think, established and clearly settled for the long, longer haul. So we need to work on a, on a significant plan beyond the immediate future and focus on the long term. Okay, no, that sounds good. So, um, I mean, look, just going back to the short term, who among suppliers is raising prices and, and by how much do you think? And are retailers planning on plan to pass on these price increases? Because that, that's what's going on sort of day to day at the moment. There's definitely price rises coming. I think what we've seen though in the last few weeks is quite an interesting dynamic. We've had Glee move to its new home. The industry though is still quite a long way off, it seems, in setting prices for spring next year so whilst we've had the glee show we've seen the new product development we've seen the marketing plans we're still not seeing actually the prices for next season so it looks like we're going to have to wait a few more weeks i suspect by the middle of september we will see prices being published and then as an industry we can start making our commitments to products but until people feel something more settled there seems to be a resistance against pricing I see container pricing from shipping around the world is, is certainly settled. I don't think it's going to come down. So that is now a factor which people are starting to uh, calculate into their ongoing price structures. But a lot of people are still negotiating at the moment their future energy rates. And until they can uh, nail that figure down, they're probably quite understandably reluctant to commit themselves, particularly if they're a, a producer of plants who rely on uh, overwinter heat in class they're going to have to make some serious decisions about pricing once they've established what these winter costs will be but without doubt there's going to be price increases i think retailers will also have to pass on those prices and they'll have to adjust their own margin expectations and probably lift them slightly maybe by one or two percent because of the actual direct costs that they are going to see we're hearing from members at the moment that a energy price increase of three times current rates is not unusual people moving from existing contracts into new contracts and if you put a three percent energy increase into a guard center operation that might require a one percent point movement on your margin to just cover that single step so there is the inward pressures from product pricing but also the internal pressures from energy and wages and so on so what does that mean in terms of overall potential price increases can you put a figure on it I think it's just too early, Matt. I think I was reading an article just yesterday saying that this inflation guessing game is a pretty nigh impossible to forward guess at the moment. There's talk now, isn't there, of 18% at some point next year. Only a week or two ago, they were talking 14%, 15%. Not long ago, they were trying to hold it at 10%. So 
it's very difficult to know. I think what we'll have to be as an industry is as dynamic as we've ever been. We will have to react as the season progresses. What we are in our industry is experts at rolling with the seasons. And in this uh, current climate, that will probably mean uh, adjusting prices as the season progresses. We saw it back in the spring of this year when major manufacturers had to review some of their prices, largely driven by the freight uh, rates where anything they were bringing from the Far East was coming in at a much higher rate than they'd originally anticipated. And as an industry, we had to work with them. What's crucial is that supply chain and outlets, retailers, work together to actually uh, be efficient where we can, to minimise unnecessary costs, and therefore keep everything for our consumer as affordable as possible. No, just to back up, Boyd, there, I think I think the word agility is key here. And I think uh, what COVID taught us was that level of resilience and agility that our industry um, showed and demonstrated. Um, and I think that that's really the key going into this next crisis. But just coming back to conference uh, and looking beyond the now, I think that that's, that's what this... Um, conference and this debate and this conversation we're going to have uh, in September is really all about. And it's about really that that new world, well, my belief of a new world we're facing into, where that rate of change has seen a significant upward movement. And how do we as individuals and businesses actually cope with that increasing rate of change? And that's brought about by the historic factors that we know about in terms of Brexit, the pandemic. Um, but on top of that, we've got this these new issues of uh, a war in Europe and that whole cost of doing business uh, crisis that we're facing into now. But it's that impact on change and how we get to grips with that and how we deal with it. That's so important because uh, horizon scanning's uh, a great thing and all businesses need to do that. But in the environment we're in at the moment, that horizon starts to become the foreground pretty quickly. And so what we're trying to do here is to look beyond that and try and look out as far as we possibly can in order to inform ourselves about what we need to do now to cope with that future. And I suppose that means an increased focus on lobbying. So what... Um, what are the focuses on lobbying at the moment? What, what are you particularly working on? Well, there, there are clearly a, a, a number of well-publicised issues out there in terms of, of peat, in terms of labour, in terms of the whole import-export regime. But I, I think it's, it, it, beyond those specifics, I think it's about um, persuading government that they need to have a different approach to regulation and legislation. I mean, we've published a, uh, a regulatory forecast, which if you look at that uh, over the next two or three years, there is a huge weight of legislation and regulation coming down the road at our industry and the whole of UK PLC. And I'm not sure there is anyone in government who has a helicopter view of that and what the true costs and impacts of that are going to be. So it's going to be about persuading government to stand back, have a look at the whole picture and see what they can do to reduce that regulatory burden and see what they can do to change the culture of how that regulation and legislation is drafted 
um, and is imposed. And I think that that comes back to a, a far greater level of collaboration between industry uh, and government um, in the drafting of these things. So that um, uh, either from a timing point of view, uh, things can be phased in or the unnecessary or unintended consequences of some of these regulatory impositions um, can be mitigated. So just, just going back to Pete, where are we at with that at the moment? Well, I think we're actually awaiting an announcement um, or an update uh, from DEFRA this week. You may know more than we do. No, because DEFRA don't respond when you ask. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, they, hopefully which, 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 which is a sign of something, um, but something not good. Um, and what do you expect them to say? Uh, I think there are a number of things that the government need to do before they are able to legislate. So I, I think uh, I think we all know what the direction of travel is there, but I think there are a number of further steps they need to do in terms of analysing impact uh, and looking at the whole timing of this. And do you think that's likely that they will you know, do what the industry wants? Um, I think we have done um, all we can in terms of... Um, sensibly suggest what should be happening here of pointing out the dangers again coming back to unintended consequences here um and if they are minded to do something keeping it clear and keeping it simple uh but being being aware that anything that's rushed um is likely to have a downside does it worry you that there's been a bit of a mixed message coming from the RHS compared to what the HGA have said, that the RHS have, you know, the last couple of years have gone very anti-Pete, whereas the industry isn't? Uh, I think there's an enormous amount of alignment um, between us and the RHS. I mean, some of the nuancing may be a little bit different, but I think in, in general, um, uh, we're pretty aligned there. What about the Ornamental Horticulture Roundtable? Is, who's going to be um, leading that in the near future? Uh, well, that, that's yet to be decided. And uh, I think discussions are ongoing about, um, about uh, a new chair, but I, I'm sure that will be uh, announced um, as we get into the autumn. So... Um, I guess one one issue, Boyd, at the moment is is footfall and what what that kind of means to, about managing the squeeze in trade that's coming our way. So, how how important is is footfall at the moment and, and average transactions? Both really important to the industry. We need to keep people walking into the garden centres, exposing them to the wonderful autumn product range we've got. Our bulbs are landing in store right now. Uh, we all know how important seeing a, a good, strong bulb season and the planting that goes around the bulbs is. So we have seen lower footfall for sure with the particularly uh, high temperatures. It doesn't encourage anybody to get in the car and drive out, does it, when we were hitting those high temperatures the other week? Fortunately, we've seen it cool off. We've seen a little bit of rain around the country, and I think that will help people. What we do usually see as a bounce back post uh, a long spell where the lawn is looking tired is people turning to autumn lawn care and such like to actually rejuvenate uh, the lawn they've got. So I think we'll see that activity. I think as long as we can see some a level of uh, rain 
and some moisture, then people will be certainly planting in pots and planters is not going to be a problem, is it, this autumn? I guess the ground will soften up a bit. It's still very hard. And then that will get people planting in the gardens or beautiful herbaceous that we're growing in the UK at the moment. Satin garden centres right now in Flower needs to find a home that's going to be in somebody's back or front garden. But uh, yeah, we need the footfall. Fortunately, restaurants in garden centres have really bounced back since the lockdown. I think they've viewed, well, we know they're viewed as a safe place to go to. They're light, they're airy. They're easy to access. They generally have an outdoor seating area alongside the main restaurants. So garden centre restaurants are busy at the moment. School holidays where retailers are entertaining the children are proving to be successful. So I know that uh, in our business where we've had events and we have soft play centres in many of the garden centres now, those actually have been busy, particularly in the mornings where people are getting up early, getting out before the heat of the day has hit. And average transaction values, well, they're actually holding up pretty well. And I think that when you compare to the last couple of years, is largely because we've still got high ticket items on sale. The last couple of years, we didn't have the garden furniture, the barbecues, the outdoor living products. We have got them this season. The stock has arrived, whereas the last two years, there wasn't enough stock in the UK. True to say that that's the opposite this year. There's plenty of stock out there and that's holding up the overall average spent i expect again in september october time the plant sales will will lift again we are also seeing a noticeable increase in demand for ornamental trees which i think is a very positive uh, impact of maybe the queen's canopy from earlier in this year people wanting to do their bit people realizing that a tree added to the environment makes a long-term gift to future generations so we're seeing that uh increasing demand in trees and the growers in the UK are starting to catch up. They did get caught out two years ago with huge spike in demand, but fortunately production continues to roll forward and we are seeing more availability now, which is great news. Should, should growers and even garden centres, should they invest or should they save their gains they've made over the pandemic? I think it's uh, every garden centre that's doing well in the country is always investing, isn't it? I think we always see continuous improvement across the industry, which is wonderful. And I've been out and about around a lot of growers over the last few weeks. And without exception, I see investment in structures. So they're putting up more covered space. I've seen investment in reservoirs for obvious reasons, people wanting to secure their water supply, particularly, I think, as the you're just talking about peat issue. Well, one of the Consequences of movement towards a more peat, reduced and peat free world is, is the demand on water. We can all see that actually water uh, is probably going to need to be doubled in quantity if you're, if you're uh, peat free gardening. And of course, we're struggling to keep up with water demands as it is. So uh, reservoirs are certainly being invested in heavily across the UK. So I think the growers are doing it. I think the retailers are doing it. Uh, we see some new builds, not that many at the moment, but there are still new builds in the retail picture. So that's good. Um, the new build garden centre always motivates its competitors to up their game in some way uh, and take on the, the impact of a, a new competitor on the market. So I think we are seeing it in every sector. I don't think anybody's rushed off and bought a new yacht that I can see. <laughs> no, 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 indeed. So, James, we've potentially got a new government maybe next year, maybe the year after, who knows. Um, 
how do you re-engage with it with a new government? Well, I'm not sure we've got a new government. Um, I mean, we've got... Uh, Might be an election. I think we've got a few years for that. But um, governments uh, are, are always in constant ebb and flow in terms of people and positions. Um, I, I, I think for, for us as a lobbying organisation, it's building relationships not just with ministers, um, but with civil servants at all levels. And... Um, and clearly there is there is continuity there and i think it's about for us it's really about building trust um at whatever level and i think we've been very successful in doing that over the last over the last couple of years and that's really based on our ability to tap into uh, our members from an information point of view build appropriate data and evidence for whatever it is that we are are discussing and ensure that that data and evidence is is correct and and robust and i think that um that helps us uh but i think it also helps helps government so um i think there will be to that extent uh, a level of continuity that um will help us prevail in terms of all of our discussions Oh, brilliant. And, and Boyd, I guess just one last big question is, at what point does this squeeze on disposable income have an impact on spend? Because inflation is kind of with us sort of for a while now. Like, so that is a big question, which I think is in a lot of, lot of retailers and suppliers' minds. So you know, can, you, can you answer that one? I think we've just got to um, accept that this year is, for so many reasons, an exceptional year. You know, I know many people who have had holidays this year that were stacked up from previous years. So people's spend pattern this year is is not typical, I don't think, going forward. People are uh, rolling forward holidays. Now, they've taken those holidays this year. They now make decisions, don't they, going forward. They, they are going to settle into their new cost base as a domestic unit, and they'll understand by the end of this year where their finances stand. Yes, there's going to be difficulties, but I think more than ever people will turn to the garden as somewhere that is their space. I think they will enjoy that space more than ever. They'll be looking to spend more time in it because maybe they're not traveling, be it in the UK or abroad, as much as they would like to, but the garden will be that um, retreat. And also some people will really uh, focus on growing their own food and produce again. We saw over 3 million people, 3.2 million people, grow something to eat for the first ever time in their lives in that first lockdown, well, that's an experience that people will have enjoyed and they'll soon return to that. So I think we'll see an activity in gardening increase over the next few years uh, on the back of these other challenges. And I think it's an industry we've got to make sure that people realise that gardening is enjoyable. It's uh, incredibly good value uh, compared to many other hobbies. It doesn't require expensive membership or fancy golf clubs or any other accoutrement, does it? Yeah, it's very easy to access gardening. Uh, whatever space you've got, large or small, it's um, very satisfying. So I think as an industry, we've got to remind people that we exist, that we are there, and it's an easy activity, and it has so many benefits. And that way, I think we'll ride through uh, these bumpy times ahead, uh, and we will get to 2030 as a strong industry. I think with the vision we're going to share with people at the conference, 
and that extends to the likes of Mark Gregory, you know, incredibly wonderful Chelsea designer and RHS medal winner, who's going to give us a picture of how the domestic garden will look and how Chelsea will be shaped. We've got Tim Brightliff talking about the international horticultural scene. Well, as our climate change uh, moves on, then actually we'll be looking more and more to gardens from uh, warmer climates to understand how they successfully garden. So I think Tim's input will be superb. And I think the time we've painted all these different aspects of the industry on the day, we'll actually all come away with clear and actually focused thoughts on how we're going to take our own individual businesses and the industry forward. Brilliant. Thanks for that, boys. Some good positive words there ahead of the HGA conference on the 14th of September in Birmingham. But just before you leave, we always ask our guests on the uh, Hall Week podcast, um, this is coming a bit out of the blue for you, possibly, what their favourite plant is. What plant would they take to a desert island if they were getting stranded there? So um, I don't know, Boyd, have you got any thoughts on that? Would you take one of these uh, ornamental trees that everyone's after or what would you be, what would you be taking with you in your luggage? Well, my favourite plant is choicier sundowns. Now, is that going to be great on a desert island or not? I'm not sure about that. But that's my <laughs> favourite plant. So that's the, that's the answer. Because it always brings a smile to your face, doesn't it? You get a cold, grey December day and the tiniest glimpse of the sun, it hits that golden foliage and it just brings a smile to your face and it puts a little glow under your chin. So that's my favourite plant. Would it work well on a desert island? I think so. So I'd let it grow big enough to provide me with shade. But it would always be that little ball of sunshine. Ah, <laughs> James, any, 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 anything to offer on that one? Well, I think I'd be in the same place as Boyd. I mean, my my favourite plants, and I would I would take it as a as a general would be rhododendrons. But again, I'm not sure they would uh, fare particularly well on a desert island. So I, I think I'd be more inclined to do something that could pro- provide me with with juice and food. Um, so off the top of my head, I would suggest a pineapple. Ah. Beautiful. Okay, no, well, superb. Lovely thoughts there of Boyd and James on the desert island with their choices on dance and pineapple tree. And uh, but anyway, I will I will next see them at the uh, the HA conference on the 14th of September in in sunny Birmingham. So I'm Matthew Appleby from Horticulture Week, and I've been with James Barnes and Boyd Douglas Davis from the HGA. And uh, make sure you never miss a Hot Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hot Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your third podcast platform and see you again next time
Cheers. Thank you all. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.